Hi there and welcome to the first edition of the 2019-2020 season of the Jersnet Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast made for fans by fans where the content is absolutely free. We're recording the show tonight. We normally do a live show on a Sunday night, but we're recording it uh, because we're doing a special show to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Morris Johnson signing for Rangers. So it'll be out on Wednesday if you're listening to it now. Obviously, you'll be aware of that. Uh, if you're a first-time listener to the pod, we would uh, we would encourage you to, to subscribe. Uh, if you've listened before, please get us out there, share it on all the social media platforms, and get talking about us. Let everyone know uh, that we're about and we're out there. The podcast is available to stream and download on a number of platforms, including iCast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher, and now Spotify. We're on Spotify as well, so you can get Little Mix and Jersnet on the same thing. Uh, I'll get straight into the guest introduction. We've only got one guest tonight. We were supposed to have two, but we've had a last-minute call-off. Uh, we've got Stuart Weir, a uh, well-known journalist who deals with talk sport and uh, previously worked for the Herald. How are you, Stuart? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Good, good, good. Uh, obviously, we've brought you in because of your vast experience and knowledge and all this stuff. Uh, and I think this is a topic uh, you were sort of saying before we came on here. That's a topic you remember well, the Morris Johnson thing. Yeah, from from the start to almost, well, you could say the finish of the, the what became a bit of a, a saga over quite a few months um, during the summer of 1989. Yeah, I, I remember it well, because I'd left school. I had just left school. <laughs> so it was it was kind of my summer of 69, if you know what I mean. It was that coming of age kind of year. So there was lots of stuff happening anyway. Uh, and, you know, you're sort of discovering things like going out and girls and alcohol and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I just got my first job and then this thing just exploded, you know, the, the, the thing with Johnson. So yeah, I remember it well. It was, it's a sort of watershed moment of my Rangers support in life. Uh, so yeah, we'll get right in about it. So I thought we would look at it from, from three aspects. Uh, sure. I thought we would look at the club before Johnson signed, you know, the, and, and yeah. get a sort of view of how it was then. Look at the signing itself, the signing itself, and the impact that it had, and then a wee look at the sort of legacy, uh, because I think we all thought that Johnson signing would, you know, free Rangers from the sort of the image, the, you know, the sectarian image. I'm not convinced that's happened. Part of me thinks it's actually went completely the other way at times. So we'll have a wee discussion around that as well. As I said, I thought we would look at the the sort of club before uh, Morris Johnson signed. I kind of feel. I mean, I know the, there's a whole sort of first Catholic thing when it comes to Johnson. I don't, I don't think that's strictly accurate. I think a lot of people conveniently forget John Spencer. But overall, you know, there was this image of Rangers at the time as, as, as being a sort of Protestant-only institution. Now, I mean, in terms of your, your own memories, do you think that was damaging Rangers at the time? Well, I think the, the, the fact... There was a time when you could pass that kind of thing off as being historic and the way it had always been. But as the years went on, you then began to be aware that, you know, there were people within Rangers in various capacities who were identifying actually how harmful that was to Rangers. That, you know, that the club had a, a, a signing policy. Um, 
and you reach the, you reach the point where they make so many excuses and you know arguments for never having found a Roman Catholic good enough to play for Rangers, which falls in its face when you ask the question, who would you prefer, Cami Fraser or Zibby Bonyek? You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> when you when you start tossing in names like that, the whole argument falls falls down, um, and that is when you realise there was no excuse that could stand up to any kind of scrutiny. But uh, but equally, I could see why it was so difficult for the Rangers board at that time because they would be fearful of biting that bullet because amongst the fans or other than the fans coming through the door at Rangers commercially, there was nothing really in terms of commercials or sponsorship or TV monies and the likes that was, that was any fantastic amounts of money. So if you start to turn the fans against you because of what you might do, then it, it could be, it, it could be, be catastrophic and and sometimes there's there's nothing to fear except fear itself and I think Rangers had backed themselves into a corner at that point so you know when I mentioned the commercialism to be honest I think it was the commercialism that was one of the biggest drivers to 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 towards what eventually happened with the signing of Mo Johnson at Rangers that's an interesting point sure because my own memories uh, supporting Rangers at that time is well I was born in Glasgow uh, but was moved away at a sort of very very young age and uh, we moved to the sort of north of Scotland, so I was kind of brought up a Rangers supporter. But the whole, you know, Protestant Catholic thing I, that that didn't exist when I was up there. Uh, when I moved back down to the sort of west of Scotland, we moved to Cumbernauld when I was about ten, and it was like overnight I became very aware of this thing. Well, the first thing was my house was right next to a school, which was St Joe's, and my school was at the back of that, which was Langlands Primary. So I was asking, "Is that my new school?" And my mum's like, ah, "No, no, no." your school's a school just a wee bit beyond that. And I'm like, well, how is that no my school? That's the school that's closest. Yeah, she's right. like, well, that, that's a Catholic school. And I didn't, I did, I had no experience of that until, you know, that age. And it, it was a, it was a quick learning curve. You know what I mean? So I think when the whole Morris Johnson thing did kick off and when he did arrive, I think that's why I found it easy to move on. You know what I mean? Because I had that sort of experience in the, the sort of Highlands in the North of Scotland but that wasn't a big thing. Don't get me wrong. When I moved back to to, to, to sort of West Central Scotland, you know, I've, 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 I've sang the songs and I've said all the things that shouldn't be getting said. But the minute Johnson signed, I, I, I could bin all that because, as I said, I think I had this, that 10 years away from Glasgow, I think, shaped me, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the sort of commercial aspect of things there, but obviously, I mean, Game Soonest was the manager then, and Game Soonest wasn't going to put himself in a position where his ambition was going to be curtailed by not being able to sign certain players. He'd never, he'd never experienced anything that, you know, in his career south of the border or in Italy. So why was he suddenly going to accept that in Scotland, and also you're looking at somebody like David Murray, who, as a businessman, would never have been able to apply those kind of rules or those kind of standards in his business life. So all of these things, if you like, it was a, almost like a kind of perfect storm. If he wanted to bring down that aspect of Rangers history, all of a sudden you had Graham Soonis and David Murray working on that principle that they were going to sign whoever it took to make Rangers better. I think I think Sunis is key. I think you're right. And, and his arrival, I mean, I don't know how old you are, Stuart, and I don't want to insult you, but I, I'm <laughs> suspecting you're a wee bit older than me. Uh, so I, I, I think Sunis, I was reading his bit in the Sunday Times today and he said when he, you know, when he was asked if he was signing a Catholic and he said to the, the sort of 
the press pack at the time, of course, I will. There was a lot of rolled eyes in the room. Is that yeah? We've heard that before. Exactly. And that, is, that, that, is, that, is that kind of how it felt? You know, whenever like, when Jock Wallace was there and John Gregg were there, when they said these things, was was there a feeling that they were saying it, but they were never going to see it through? And soon has changed that. Yeah, because if you like the manager that had come previously to to Rangers, whoever they might have been had never worked elsewhere, so to speak, other than Scotland. I, I mean, I know Jock Wallace had been at Rangers, then he went to Leicester and they came back again. But it was almost like they were, for want of a better description, traditionalists. There was yeah. nothing traditional about Graeme Souness. Graeme Souness was, you know, uh, a one-off, a guy who was going to do it his way. And lo and behold, it, uh, personally speaking, it was for the betterment of Rangers Primarily for himself, I have to say, he was going to give himself, as I said, the best the best chance possible of making his mark on Scottish football. But um, with his his take on things, it made Rangers a, a a different entity and a better entity from McIntyre. Moving on to you know when 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 tenth of July nineteen eighty nine when 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 it all kicked off. Uh, now I've done a chapter on this in the book uh, Ten Days at Shook Rangers. It was out a few years ago. Ronnie Esplin edited it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was Jack Irvin I spoke to because I'm sure he was the guy that broke the story. Well, Jack, Jack Irvin and Jack Irvin and Steve Sampson were the two guys at the Sun who well had been served up the story for want of a better description. And I know I know you're saying the 10th of July 1989 was the the date. To be honest, this this dated this whole episode or or what became a, a saga almost started in the middle of May. Um, when Celtic unveiled Morris Johnson <laughs> as, a, as the prodigal son uh, coming returning, returning. Yeah. and I have to say, Jim, uh, you know, a couple of, a, a couple of months later, um, Jim Blair um, sadly departed. Uh, former Daily Record uh, correspondent um, came out with an absolute cracker um, when he said, uh, "You know, Celtic thought that." Prodigal son had returned with the emphasis on prodi. It's only Jim could have put it, and it was, I mean, it was it was it was really funny. But at the time, I mean, you have to you have to look at Celtic. This was Celtic putting down a marker to anything that Rangers had done previously. So Rangers had the the biggest signing in Scottish football at that point in time when they brought Richard Goff back north from from Tottenham. And this was Celtic putting down, laying down a marker of their level of ambition and 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 what they intended to, how they intended to take Rangers on head on. Remember, they, they they just won the domestic double the year before. They were in the Scottish Cup final, even though Rangers had won the the, the title. There was no notion that Rangers were going to go on and do nine in a row at that point in time. And Celtic were in the mix, and and signing Morris Johnson was going to be a real statement of their intent. And the week, the week before the Scottish Cup final, you had Morris Johnson covering up the most horrendous sweater. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it was a shocker! <laughs> and Scott, you know, it was like an explosion in a fireworks factory, <laughs> and 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 covering that up with a Celtic shirt, posing with this is uh, even worse. Well, well, <laughs> Posing with Billy, posing with Billy McNeil and his uh, and Karen um, Morris's wife, and you know it was it looked all all you know happy and loving kisses and and absolute bliss at Celtic Park, and Rangers were due to face Celtic in the Scottish Cup final, and you know beat Rangers in the, the, the Scottish 
cup final, I think, you know, there's some Rangers fans still demanding that VAR be brought in just to contest the throw-in that Roy Aitken took, but that's another story. But, quite literally, Celtic were in the bath with the Scottish Cup at Hamden and celebrating, and already there were questions being asked about this proposed deal. Celtic were claiming, you know, Jack, Jack McGinn, who was the, the Celtic chairman at the time, he was, he was adamant that Celtic had put a, signed bits of paper and had put a down payment on Morris Johnson. They couldn't make him a, a Celtic player until the 1st of July. There was no such thing as transfer windows then, no such thing. No, as, no. As the good old days, as I call them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, you have to, you have to realise a lot of these things were taking place in, in a world that, whilst it's the norm now, was, was something totally, totally strange to a great many folk. And, and Celtic were adamant that they'd paid something like 400000 of a £1.2 million transfer fee to uh, Nong for Morris Johnson and that he would be on his way. And and slowly but surely, as the, the, the weeks rolled on, you know, literally 10 days after Celtic had said they were signing Morris Johnson, Morris Johnson had sort of disappeared and then re-emerged because he was going to play for Scotland against Chile and against uh, England, though they missed the England game, um, in, in terms of the Rouse Cup. And all bets were off. Celtic were saying, you know, we want our money back. You know, this this £400,000 instalment, we need to get the money back. You, you had arguments almost within the Celtic boardroom as well between Jack McGinn saying, you know, we're ready to write this off. Um, having said that they were going to fight it tooth and nail, you had FIFA being dragged into it, UEFA being dragged into it, and, and Kevin Kelly, one of the club's directors, saying, you know, we will go straight to the top of the house to rectify this. And all of a sudden, Celtic, from from being in a position where they thought they had some sort of case, just basically retreating. And I, I'm not quite, I'm not, I was never quite sure what bits of paper Celtic had signed to say that they'd put down the first instalment on uh, on on Morris Johnson coming back, but for a, 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 a club and an entity to say that they were going to fight this tooth and nail, I always thought they surrendered really, really quickly. quickly. I think, yeah, I, I think I think they I think they spotted that they didn't really have anything legal to. To, to challenge this with there was also there was also the issue they wouldn't deal with Bill McMurdo would they I think that's, that's, a, small, <laughs> that's a small issue and as I've maybe mentioned to Bill once or twice you know being a I, I always reckon Bill was a kind of um, the, the original um, when it came to um, third party ownership <laughs> <laughs> he 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 um he maybe developed it without actually giving it a name. But I mean, I, I, again, you know, Celtic. I think they thought of Morris Johnson by skirting around the outsides of anything that that Bill was um was doing in terms of his activities as an engine, and all of a sudden he came back and bit them and bit them rather hard. Oh, I bit them, I big time. I think at that point in time, it was it was Celtic realised that you know even though they approached you, um, FIFA, and remember this was the time when the under sixteen World Championships were being played yeah. in Scotland. So all the FIFA representatives that you ever needed an answer from were actually floating around in Scotland at that time. And and, and I think somewhere in discussions there, or on an approach was made, and I think FIFA, someone in FIFA said, "You don't have a leg to stand on." I do remember it well because a lot of my my, my Celtic supporting mates were chatting my door at the time. You know what I mean? As I said, I was 16, so they're battering on your door, as, as was the case at the time. You know, when your team got some good news, 
you were right around to your pal uh, to rub his nose in it. So I remember all that. I remember the Celtic thing kicking off. I, there's a photo of Sunas on the day the Scottish Cup final when Celtic won that Cup final 1 0. And he's looking up to Celtic collecting the trophy and he has the smuggest grin you can ever imagine on your face, on his face. And I am pretty convinced that even at that point, he knew. Uh, yeah, because, uh, I don't think he's played that final. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think he, 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 he came on. He came on as a sub. But he did Derek Ferguson. In. Derek Ferguson should have been on the bench because he was a far, he was a far more industrious and a fitter player than Graham Sunnis was at that point in time. And um, Rangers didn't have Ray Wilkins. He was injured for the final, and I think at that point Rangers rejigged their resources. And and Sunnis. I, I honestly think he didn't have a Scottish Cup winner's medal to his name and, and that's what he wanted yeah. yeah and it should have been Derek Ferguson on the bench that day who knows I mean we're, we're, you know we're, we're kind of speculating but I, I do think that you know I do think you know I think at that point in time Sunnis was still Sunnis the whole thing with Morris Johnson hadn't kicked on the way it did within a matter of weeks uh, let's say I think I think Graham Sunnis had decided, and there were, you know, was it was it going to be Ian Rush was going to be signing, or maybe even Frank McAvaney had been hinted at. Uh, Ray Houghton was a was a name as well, and um, he was he was maybe going to be coming. But the whole thing with with, with Morris Johnson was that if Rangers were going to sign a, a Roman Catholic player, they couldn't sign someone who was going to fail. They couldn't sign someone who was simply going to just be um, a, a name that would suddenly disappear out the door after a year without contributing anything. So it had to be somebody who was good enough, had to be somebody who was going to contribute to what Sunnis had in mind for his team, and it was also going to be somebody who could live with it. And I don't think anybody saw it as being another Scot that they would sign. I think some people saw that as being somebody who would come from English football and the signing would be made and that would be it. I don't think anybody saw it being someone like Morris Johnson. So when everything everything kicked on, as you say, for the, the, the 10th of July, 1989, I think at that point in time, we, we suddenly realised he was a guy who was quite willing to take on this fight as well as the one that Graham Sunnis had taken on. Well, so we've, we've had the Celtic scenario. He signed for Celtic. That's all fell through. Yeah. There was rumours uh, there, there, there was rumours that Rangers were interested and I'm sure Bill McMurdo at the time had to issue a couple of denials and all the rest of it. But then the, the, the day itself arrives uh, so it's the, one, it's the one question we all ask each other where were you Stuart when you found out that Rangers had signed Morris Johnson? <laughs> well it, technically it wasn't on the 10th of July that I found out um, because um, on the the Saturday it would be Saturday night when there was no football on and, and I mean there was a, de a defined close season then there was no football on um, some of us worked for agencies especially me and therefore you had to earn your crust doing other sports and, and other things uh, I worked for an agency in Glasgow I covered cricket during the summer uh, and on this particular Saturday night one of those sports I had to cover was believe it or not was freestyle wrestling uh, right. yeah um, <laughs> Maureen McGonigal who is very prominent in women's sport now in Scotland they were, she was a secretary so I, I've known Maureen long, long before she 
she took on the, the guise of international ambassador for women's sport or anything to do with football. Uh, and there were some colourful characters then in the wrestling, Albert Patrick, multiple Commonwealth Games medalist, uh, and one of the top guys in the Sweeney <laughs> with the Metropolitan Police. So he was rather <laughs> colourful. Uh, and there's another chap, Sandy McNeil, whose son Callum studied in Canada and would eventually represent Team GB in Barcelona. Anyway, on this particular Saturday night, phone goes in the office, and it's Sandy saying, I don't know if there's anything in this or whether you want to believe it, but a pal of mine owns a pub in Glasgow, and on that particular Saturday, there'd been the parades in uh, in Glasgow, and and his pub, this guy's pub was full um, of of various uh, followers of the the parades and the likes, and he said, yeah, they're all singing and dancing just now, but come. Monday, his new clientele wouldn't be so happy because it would be announced that Rangers were going to sign Morris Johnson. Now, my my weekend was suddenly or somewhat interrupted then by the birth of my second daughter. But being a starving, <laughs> but being a starving freelance and being told that if you get anything, always phone a desk because we get paid for tips as well. I right. phoned it. I phoned the Daily Record and asked them, would they be interested in any of this? Because I'd heard it in good authority, namely somebody who'd been in a pub, um, that, <laughs> that, that Rangers, Rangers might be signing uh, Morris Johnson. And was told, and I, I don't know who I spoke to, and I've, I've, I've never even tried to find out, I have to say. But whoever it was that answered the phone in the, the Record's office that Sunday said, no, no, no. We know who it is that Rangers are going to sign. Um, uh, Alex Cameron's got the story. And I, through a bit of naivety, asked, and who is it? And they said, you can buy a paper like everybody else. So when when we did buy a paper the next day, it was Rangers were going to sign um, the the first high-profile Roman Catholic, because there had obviously been low-profile Roman Catholics that nobody knew about prior to that. But the first high high profile Roman Catholic that Rangers was going to sign, therefore breaking the mould of years of tradition at Ibrooks, was going to be John Sheridan from Leeds United. Mm. And it wasn't. It was Morris Johnson. <laughs> so when my when my phone went at like half past eight in the morning that and we're still dealing the old, old days of faxes, that a fax had get into our office, uh, that there would be a press conference held on the the Monday morning. Uh, one, I wasn't really in a fit state. To, to attend and secondly I knew what was coming anyway and everybody would have it covered so there was no point in being there it was it was the, the signing of Morris Johnson and I mean I, I particularly remember seeing the, 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 the TV footage of that that you know David Murray sitting there proud as punch as Bill McMurdo and uh, Graham Soonis and, and Morris Johnson came through and planked themselves down at the, the, the table and there was there were they were obviously then, I mean, you said something about the earlier on about the, the rolling of the eyes when it came to Rangers signing a Roman Catholic. There were audible gasps then yeah. in terms of the fact that not only had Rangers signed a Catholic, it was Morris Johnson. And the, the short waves of that were going to reverberate around Scottish football in West Central Scotland for maybe 30 years <laughs> so, yeah but we're still talking about it now yeah absolutely so. correct absolutely correct and, and, and I think I think people forget just how monumental that 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 one day that one day was and for all the people that said you know well I'm handing in my season ticket and I'm I'm burning my season ticket and I'm never going back inside Ibrox I mean utter nonsense because there were a great many Rangers fans realised at that point in time they had a manager who 
really did mean business. This guy really did mean business and he would sign whoever it took to make Rangers the most formidable force in Scottish football and maybe even kick on from that in, in European terms as well. And that, that day was a, a, a day, you know, never to be forgotten. Oh no, absolutely not. I, I, I mean, the, the, the high profile Catholic thing, you know, I, that is a big story in itself, when it, you know, at, at that time when it came to Rangers. But I think the fact that it was Morris Johnson because one, he'd played for Celtic. Two, he was quite a controversial Celtic player. Three, he was he was kind of very vocal about how he felt about Rangers. You know what I mean? He, 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 he sort of held the club in a sort of open disdain. There was the incident in the, the League Cup final in 1986 when he got sent off for headbutting Stuart Monroe. You know, he was, he was already a controversial guy. Now, I, I read today in the Sunday Times soon as saying, that he'd approached John Collins and he'd approached, did you said earlier, Stuart, he'd approached Ray Houghton. Yeah. Uh, according to soon as today in the, the Sunday Times, he said both had agreed, but when they went away, he'd speak to family members and, you know, advisors and stuff like that. Their kind of, their bottle went. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, so soon as, the role of soon as in this is, is key, the role in David Murray in this, I mean, I know how things ended with David Murray was, was, was pretty poor, but, you know, at this particular point, I think, his role and everything was key, but you surely have to look at the man himself, Johnston, and there's a certain amount of bravery and mental strength involved in taking on that because he knew exactly how he was viewed by both sets of supporters and what his actions would do to that. You know, essentially somebody pointed out in the day that both sets of supporters now hated him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, the, the bravery of Johnson and, and agreeing to do it, you have to give him some credit for that. Well, you, you do, but I think I think there was an element as well that Morris Johnson, it, it didn't really trouble him that much. He just saw it as a job of work. And, and I mean, I know people will say, oh, he's just mercenary and all the rest of it. Maybe that, maybe exa- that's exactly what he was. He was a mercenary, therefore they don't, they just wonder where their next paycheck is coming yeah. from. And there was also, I think everybody would have to admit, two things one there was always a bit of gallusness about Morris Johnson that he was bigger and better than um, maybe whoever he was playing for at that particular time I'm not saying he was big headed I'm just saying saying that he had that kind of belief about him that he could do certain things And and, and going to France and then coming back he proved that he could actually do it in France in a completely different environment. So when the opportunity comes with Rangers and seeing how much money they've got to spend and the fact you know, he's, he's got a chance to work with, say, Graham Sooners and David Murray must have pitched in there as well and said, this is what we're doing, son. Do you want to buy into it? Then I think that made it a bit of a, a no-brainer. Yeah, okay, you would have to... You would, you would need your um, you need your rock steady security guys with you twenty four seven, and you would know yeah. them in, in intimate terms um, unless you came off the the flight from uh, Zagreb, Zagreb and told them all to take a hike that you were going out for the night. But apart from that, you know, I think I think Morris Johnson was quite he was he was quite happy. He had his wife there, um, you know, he. he he knew he was be, being a bigger uh, or a part of a bigger a bigger story and possibly a bigger success story. The, the the funniest thing was he went to live in Edinburgh and and Rangers had given him a company car 
which was a, a, a top of the range Mercedes and, and one of the first days that Morris had it, he, he jumped in, put the keys in and all of a sudden felt this cold steel in the side of his neck and thought somebody was going to kidnap him or 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 do something untoward to him and, and sat there sort of trying to edge round in his seat to see who was sitting in the back of the car and then lo and behold found out it was actually the seatbelt um, <laughs> that had come out and poked him in the neck and he wasn't suddenly going to be the, the victim of a kidnapping so I mean, there's all, there are all these sort of hilariously funny nuances on when he signed for Rangers of course with the famous the famous table for one out in Choco. Yeah. Uh, where he, he was made to, to, to go and, and sit in the in the in the corner. Bread and water. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> but I mean all of these things, all of these things actually the fact that he could ride, you know, with the punches and and and, and see the the funny side of all these things actually endeared them to 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 Rangers, the Rangers players and the I think ultimately the Rangers support as well. And you know, and he, he he didn't take he didn't take very long to settle in. Unlike I have to say, the Rangers team that season, who had right. a, a, an absolutely horrendous start to the season. Um, and I think people for I think people forget that. I think that you know I've, I've been reading certain things and looking at certain things. Oh, Morris Johnson did this, and Morris Johnson did that, and all that. Yeah, he did eventually. But given the fact that I think Rangers were. Rangers, I think, has only scored eight goals in the league by the middle of October. Do you know what I mean? They'd only nine, nine points from nine games. It's still old money then in terms of... Yeah, the two, two points for the win. Yeah. But, but Rangers were only nine, nine points from uh, from nine games in the middle of October. And they'd lost their first two to St. Martin, but they also lost Chris Woods. They lost to Hibs when they had to go and sign uh, Bonnie Ginsburg. They then got a draw against Celtic, which I actually think was, on the grand scheme of things, it probably wasn't that psychologically damaging to Celtic. But Celtic thought they could take Rangers that day. They definitely did think they could beat Rangers that day and it ended up as a draw. Uh, and then, you know, Morris Johnson scores his, his, um, his first goal um, for Rangers against uh, against Aberdeen. But before that, prior to that, of course, you had the, the closed-door friendly matches that he, he participated in. And then the high-profile friendly against um, against Spurs at, uh, at Ibrox. When I absolutely have no recollection of anything that Morris Johnson did, what I do remember was Ian Ferguson and Paul Gascoigne nearly having a stand-up fight. Yeah. And 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 I, the, the irony of that was that when when Gaza signed for Rangers, the guy who was put in charge of of, being, of looking after him was Ian Ferguson. <laughs> He was he was his sort of nursemaid to to, to bed uh, Gaza into his his life at uh, Ibrox, but it was but that was that was it. I mean, the whole thing about Morris Johnson signing as well or that day was it wasn't just a sports story. In fact, in fact, the, the sporting aspect of it was there was no sporting aspect to it other than Rangers had signed a very good player. The biggest part of that as a news story was was taken up by television and newspaper. Uh, news reporters and feature writers about what an epic event it was for Rangers to actually sign Morris Johnson. I, th- I think there's two aspects to the signing, though. You know, everyone talks about you know how it strengthened Rangers, and you know they'd signed. Some people would say at that particular time there's, there's an argument to say he was a world class striker because he was in the top of his form. I think when we signed him, but there's also the other aspect to the signing. It totally knocked the wind out of Celtic. You know what I mean? I, I felt 
we'd won the league without even kicking the ball. The minute the minute we got him, all my mates before Rangers signed Morris Johnson, all my mates that supported Celtic used to say to me, "The day you sign, the day your club signs a Catholic, we'll be at your door rubbing your face in it." And when it happened, it was the other way about. It was me running to their door saying, "Right." Is, is, is Barry in and you know he's more going oh no he's not feeling very well today son and shutting the door on <laughs> you know what I mean so it was it was that kind of I think that's that's an aspect of it that's, that's been forgotten as well I think Sunas knew normally when you sign a player you improve your team and that, that's what he done but he also he knocked his stuff out his main opposition took them out of the game for about four or five years I think you know I don't think it was until you know, Fergus McCann arrived at Celtic, kind of got back off the canvas again. It was a huge, monumental blow to them. Um, I don't think. I don't think it was. A, I don't think it was immediate though. I think. I think it was. I think the effect was that that you have to go then sort of move into the if you like in November when Morris Johnson scored the the the, the winning goal in the old firm game. Um, you know the famous. The famous Morris Morris double, um, Chris Morris to Morris Johnson, <laughs> Morris Johnson. Yeah. Um, and I, I think at that point in time it started to have a more of a kind of effect on Celtic psychologically. The, the other thing was that Celtic had signed some not very good players. They get they get knocked out of Europe that season in the most bizarre set of circumstances. You know, scoring five goals at Celtic Park and still getting knocked out with partisan Belgrade um, so I think there were some hammer blows right through that season as well and the other thing was that even even though Rangers made as I, as I touched upon an absolutely dreadful start to the season Celtic Celtic still didn't get away they, they, they drew in too many matches early on and they dropped too many points earlier on which ultimately made it easier for Rangers to catch them and overtake them and I know you were saying you, you, you basically quoted some newspaper articles that have appeared um, over the last couple of days in, in terms of um, Morris Johnson's effect on Rangers. You know that season, um, I, I think I think Morris Johnson ended up, ended up as top scorer at Ibrox, along with and I think McCoy was maybe a goal behind. But at the start of that season, Graham Souness had had. I think he'd earmarked the fact that his, his striking combination was actually going to be Johnson and Kevin Drinkle. And then they get this daft offer from Coventry City. Kevin wanted to leave anyway. And, and lo and behold, it became the, the Johnson and McCoy show. I don't think it was always, I don't think that was always a definite that that was going to be the preferred partnership at, at Rangers that season. The other thing was, Morris Johnson scored 15 goals, and I think it was in the league. He didn't score barrel loads of goals. You know, it wasn't like he was scoring like the 30 that McCoy's could score or 32 that McCoy's could score. He only scored 15. What was important was the, the, the goals when they came, how important they were. The one nothing victory against Aberdeen, the one nothing victory, I think it was a beat Hearts as well, the one nothing victory against Celtic. So Morris Johnson was the, the single single difference early on in that season to Rangers picking up points against their biggest rivals. And I, and I think that, that in itself, and a Rangers team that uh, you know somebody can correct me if they want, but I, I think I'm right. I think Rangers scored less than fifty goals in the league that season. They they did not score 
loads of goals because they didn't have to. One ones and twos were often enough to win matches because defensively Rangers were absolutely sound with you know the defence that they had. So you know I think some people are are, are looking at the, the the whole Morris Johnson thing in that first season through blue tinted specs. Yeah, you've got a point there, Stuart. You know that I, I always remember. You don't get them now, but you remember you used to get the end of season review, the video reviews. Aye. Uh, for each season and at the end of that season Soonis made a comment and I always took it as a sort of veiled dig at McCoist and, and a sort of a, a sort of championing of Mo Johnson and it, and it was sort of around the point that you're making you know uh, he sort of said you know Morris has scored loads of invo- important goals for us he doesn't score you know the third goal in a 3-0 win which I think McCoist done a lot of at that particular stage of his career uh, and I always kind of took that as a veil dig. I think you're right. I think the amount of goals, you know, and the 1-0 wins that you were talking about, I mean, I, I, I was there at the Aberdeen game uh, when, he, when he scored his first goal. I was there that day when he scored the last minute winner against Celtic. And I was in the, the, the Govan front in the very last seat before they filled in the corners uh, right. next to the Broomlin Road. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically in the last seat before you've got that wee bit of Ash Park and then, you know, 7,000 Celtic fans. And I kid you not, I have never seen that stand empty so quickly in my life as it emptied that day. The minute Johnson scored, uh, they were they, they couldn't get out of the place quick enough. And I always Can remember, I, as well. on you go, on you go. I'm just going to give you an example before I forget it. And it, 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 I, I had a, a mate who said, you know, who was totally anti Morris Johnson signing for Rangers and said he would never celebrate his goal, any goal that Morris Johnson scored, he would never celebrate. <laughs> Right, and he scored against Aberdeen, and this friend of mine jumped out his seat. Um, or, 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 this is second hand, of course, but um, one of my other mates had, had spotted me. He jumped out his seat, punched the air, and he was reminded. I thought you said you were never going to celebrate a Morris Johnson goal, and he said I wasn't. I was celebrating Trevor Stevens' cross. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my seat. Last seat was right in front. See where Trevor Stephen hit that ball when he crossed it in. I was sitting right behind him, uh, and and there was an incident at the Celtic game as well. After Johnson had scored, I mean, it was the last minute. The ball came into our section for a throw in, so we were keeping the ball. And Big Roy Aiton came up to get the ball. Oh, and he took pelters. He took <laughs> absolutely. He's standing there demanding the ball and pointing at his wrist and all the rest of it, you know, in a pure huff. Uh, and we're all just standing there throwing the vicky at him, you know what I mean? Just like, ah, you're not getting the ball, Roy. You're not getting it. Get it up, you. Yeah. I just uh, get back to the goals he scored. I mean, Morris Johnson, uh, Morris Johnson was in the form of his life at that point in time. I, and, and you know, people can say, well, you're only saying that now. But he was. He, he was... He was genuinely clinical in different games. You look at the the the, the World Cup qualifier against France at Hamden. You look at the overhead kick he scored against Cyprus when Scotland were really going nowhere in a, another World Cup uh, qualifier. I mean, Morris Johnson was, I reckon at that point in time, in the top four or five strikers across Europe. And, you know, I, again, people could accuse you of saying, oh, you're just hyping this up. No, not really. I think Rangers Rangers won a watch when they signed Morris Johnson at that particular time. And it was the it, it was the right player at the right time for, for Rangers to kick on. 
Um, and I, I, I do think some people forget actually just how how deadly Morris Johnson was as a player. I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, leading the line in terms of holding the ball up, bringing other players into, into play, getting the ball out wide um, as, a, as a centre forward would. He he was absolutely you know top drawer, and this at a time as well when he was still being kicked up in the air every every five or ten minutes. And uh, so a, a brave and gutsy player, and one who was very very capable as well. Yeah, I, you know something I always remember as well about Johnson. It, it, it wasn't the tallest, but it was really really good in the air. It was one of these players that could hang in there, you know. So when a cross came in, it was one of the guys that seemed to be up in there for ages, and then just. And, and meet it perfect. And the goal against thing. Aberdeen was a bit like that. The goal yeah. against Aberdeen, he seems to he seems to come from quite deep and come across the front of the two Aberdeen defenders. And I'm sure, a, one was Big Eck. Was one? one, one was, I was. Yeah, I was. I remember. I remember um, one being McLeish, but the, the, the header he put past Snelders, well, that was a, that was a fantastic finish. So you know, I think I think he offered Rangers. A hell of a lot, and of course that season as well, he had to justify himself because if you, if you can remember, Rangers were absolutely given a drubbing at Ibrox by Bayern Munich. So the whole thing about Morris Johnson saying this might be helping Rangers in Europe, that turned into a bit of fallacy in that you know that that first season, a bit like so many Rangers signings over a, a, a period yeah. of time. It was never going to help them in Europe, but it certainly helped them uh, domestically. And I, and I, and I think all in all that season. I wouldn't say he won Rangers the title, but he might have been the difference between Rangers winning and and, and losing, and, and and also the fact that they you know they beat Aberdeen um, to the title, and Celtic just went completely off the off the rails because I think that I think that nineteen eighty nine season, uh, eighty nine into ninety covered up a few cracks um, and frailties within within Celtic as a, a as a team as well. They signed some players who weren't very good. At the end of that season, they lost the Scottish Cup final on penalties to Aberdeen, and it was it was a, it took them quite a few years after that to get to get back onto the kind of straight and narrow. And, that, and that's that's kind of going back to what we were saying earlier on. You know, I, I think Johnson and I even did knock the stuffing at that club. They, they they just I, I think it comes back to that mentality as well. You know the Jock Steen thing. You know if there's a Protestant boy or a Catholic boy, we'll sign the Protestant because we know they'll no touch the Catholic. You know they always had that sort of and that, that had gone. It's gone. That had, you know, that had literally they, gone overnight. And they, and I genuinely think they didn't know how to deal with that for a, for a long, long time after that. I think they felt any time any player became available, they thought, oh, Christ, Rangers will be in for this boy as well. And we don't have the free pick a, a certain players. So I, I do. I think you know Celtic as a club were, were all over the shop for a good few years after Johnson signing, uh, and and that's. Just by putting pen to paper, it's not. It's not by what he done on the part, which was tremendous. It's just by the fact that he snubbed them and came to us. I think they, they struggled really, really badly after that. No, I, I think I think there's a, a a point to be made in that. But again, is you know, it, it it shifted Rangers on significantly in terms of where they'd where they'd been. Um, it shifted Rangers on from where they would eventually you know go and arrive at. Um, and ultimately, though, I mean, Morris Johnson's time at Ibrox wasn't actually that very long. You know what I mean? And I, and I think, you know, I, I, I think he was a bit of a, in some respects, a bit of a, a shooting star, you know, um, a, a sort of meteorite. It was like, you know, big explosion, big bang. 
Um, you see the kind of trail for for quite a wee while, and then all, all of a sudden he's gone. Uh, and I, you know, and, I, and again, I think during his time at Rangers, he really contributed to the to the team and to the cause. But ultimately, Rangers. He was one player of a, and a number of players at, at Rangers at that time. It came in, did a, had a, a good couple of seasons and then departed, job done. Yeah, and the, the thing as well, when he did eventually go, uh, and I, again, I was gutted. Uh, we, we got, this, we got the, the transfer fee that we paid for him, you know, when we sold him again. So I can remember my mate, he was, he was at the hospitality. Uh, he was quite friendly with Alex Smith at the time, who was Aberdeen manager. And he said he was sitting in a room after a midweek game at Ibrox. He was sitting in a room with Walter Smith, David Murray, because uh, Sunnis had moved on by this point. And Johnson hadn't long departed. He was away to Everton at that point. And David Murray was apparently bragging, saying, you know, I got Morris Johnson for 1.5 million, got two years excellent work out of him and sold him on for the same amount of money we paid for him. So I don't think there's any negative aspects about Johnson signing for Rangers at all, really, other than maybe the legacy, which we'll come on to discuss in a few minutes. But in terms of what he done on the park, I don't think you can you can argue anything because I, I, I think, as you said, he scored he scored goals. His work rate was, was, was superb. Uh, he scored important goals. And I think, he, I, I think you would have to be a pretty, how can I put it, petulant and stubborn Rangers fan if you couldn't recognise what Morris Johnson gave to Rangers. Oh no, I, I, I would agree. I, I mean, again, the, the, the whole thing, the whole thing was the advanced Rangers or the, the Rangers team at that point in time, but also advanced Rangers as a club for that period of time. And uh, you know, if you were, if you had a tick box of what Graham Sooner City would do and did, that would be one of the biggest ticks that he, 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 he put down. No, no, no point in, intended, of course, but it was, it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was, you know, and David, David Murray, he'd moved the club on considerably, which then opened up to Rangers during the, the, the nineties. And it, it meant then that any player that Rangers saw that they wanted and would make the club better, Rangers could go and sign them and nobody could say anything about it. And nobody would say anything about it because I think it was a great relief to the Rangers, the uh, vast, vast majority of Rangers fans as well, that that Rangers had a signing policy of it wasn't dependent on what school you went to, it was only dependent on what talent you had and, and whether Rangers could afford you. And, you. and if they could afford you and you had enough talent and fitted just you know fitted into that team or that ideal that Rangers had at that point in time, you would be a Rangers player. Well, I mean, I, I look at Rangers now, you, you know. You know, I go, I go to the games now with my boy and, you know, he's he's been supporting the club for the last sort of six, seven years. You know, so the, the sort of club that he's been sort of inducted into and, and sees on a weekly basis and, and is part of, I think it's a very different club for the one that, that I grew up supporting in the 80s, you know, because there was that sectarian element to it. You know what I mean? You know, since Johnson's arrived, you know, we've had, you know, Catholic captain and Lorenzo Amoruso, we've Catholic manager and Paul Le Guin, you know, boys like Neil McCann, you know, who maybe 20 years ago, he's, he wouldn't even considered Rangers as a, as a career option. You know what I mean? And he had a great career at Rangers. So, you know, it, it's changed beyond recognition. And I think you're right. I think it's changed for the better. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. I think I think as well it's become almost childish, childish even, to, to, to point a finger at... Rangers in terms of signing policies these days 
because anybody, anybody who says, I oh, see, you know, where was that? Where was that um, great belief that he's had that you only ever signed Protestants or actually you didn't, you could sign anybody as long as it wasn't a Roman Catholic. I uh, you know, where was your principle? Where are your principles now? That, that's for seeing the bigger, bigger picture. If anything, anybody that says that is the bigot now rather yeah. than anybody, you know, anybody who's, who would be, uh, uh, you know, a Rangers, a, a Rangers fan, a Rangers supporter. Another thing was, I mean, to be honest, so much of it was was made that it was very difficult to live anywhere in you know in in, in Scotland where you'd be for what a better description indoctrinated indoctrinated into anything or that kind of culture because everybody lived you know together you maybe went to different schools but ultimately you lived in the same street or the same close or played in the same football teams so it was it was something that was totally alien to so many people and as you pointed out right at the, the top of the the, the the show you know when you went up north nobody even mentioned it so no. it was it was something that was it, it was restrictive in terms of Scottish society so to speak and and, and to, be, to be honest it still is um, I think I think you know. I think there are bigger problems just now around these kind of things that doesn't matter who you sign is not going to help. So therefore, it's, therefore, you could argue that it's got nothing to do with football or anything else. It's, it, you know, but that, that's a, maybe an argument for another day. But again, if you look back thirty years ago, does it feel like thirty years? Well, if you if you think back to how the communications were made and various things, you know, and how. Ibrox has developed and where Scottish football is now compared to, you know, a year after a year after Morris Johnson saying Scotland went to the World Cup finals. I mean, how, <laughs> how yeah, strange that, is that? That does feel like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it does. But I, mean, I, I think I think you I think you have to look at these things as being, you know, I, it was it was something that was of the moment and Everything else changed after that one moment, and I and I, I don't think anybody can argue with that. Moving on now, and sort of the, the the next sort of topic that I was thinking we could talk about, sure, and that is the legacy of his signing. Because I mean, on that day, it, it did kind of feel, and as you pointed out earlier on through the nineties, it, it it did kind of feel like Rangers were not only a big club but a fairly progressive club as well. You know, this sort of thing that had been been hanging around them had gone. It feels to me now that. It's went back the way somewhat. I, I I think the image of the club now it doesn't feel like we're thirty years away from from that statement and signing Morris Johnson. You know, I still think that the media, uh, some within the media and and wider society view Rangers in a very detrimental way, and still with that view of being a sectarian organisation. How do you view it? Listen, I think I think it's an easy. It's it's still quite an easy one for for certain individuals to bash Rangers with across the head. You know, uh, the last the last six years or seven years within Rangers have not been easy for anyone involved. I, you know, whether that was whether that was the fans, whether it was the players, whether it was the people who were trying to keep the, the, the club afloat or keep it together or or even you know dealing with it in terms of the media. It's very easy to write if you if you write something or say something uh, on radio, you can bet a bottom dollar you'll have 20 people either writing to you or um, on social media commenting that just how how wrong you've got it, you know. And and and, and again, it's 
I, I think it's I think the reason it might feel as if things have not moved on or things have changed is that there are now so many people who have a voice that 30 years ago they didn't have a voice. It's, it's very easy for somebody to be vocal on social media and have an audience, albeit that audience is a very, very small audience. If that person was saying anything of any any substance, they wouldn't be saying it just on social media. They'd be saying it in TV studios or radio studios and they don't get that opportunity. Why? Because what they're actually saying most of the time or a, a great, you know, a lot of the time is completely incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. So I think just now where Rangers are is that, you know, in terms of where Steven Gerrard is and what he's trying to do at Rangers, I, th- I still think everybody's buying into it. The biggest thing for Rangers just now on the pitch is, is actually getting some silverware to, to, to prove that they're headed in the right direction. Off the pitch, I still think there's things that, 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 that could be done to, to improve the model, so to speak. But then again, you, you, you are playing to a particular audience. You know, you're never going to attract all of the people in Scotland to become Rangers fans simply because it's, it's too ingrained in certain people never to support Rangers, never to like Rangers. And whilst that's still there, you know, that's, that's down to, a, I would say, down to a, a hatred more than anything else. It's never, going to, it's never going to change. Why will it never change? Because ultimately, Rangers fans will always defend themselves and defend their club. So you end up just going round in a kind of vicious circle. And, you know, whilst there could have been a break, um, you know, several years back, when, when Rangers were into the fourth division or, or the fourth tier of Scottish football, some people wouldn't let that lie. Some people wouldn't say, right, okay, they've, they've been taught a lesson, they've learned a lesson, let's leave it at that. They, they wanted to continue their, the, you know, to give, and, and I know for a fact, this, doesn't, this isn't just Celtic fans, there are fans from all different clubs just wanted to give Rangers an absolute kicking while they were doing there, not actually realising that what they were actually doing was giving themselves a kicking because Scottish football didn't really move on in five or six years. And and that, for me, is more of an indictment in terms of where Scottish football is than anything to do with Rangers or the old firm. Has the, the constitutional situation, the, the political stuff that sort of rumbled on in the last sort of 10 years, do you think that's had an impact as well? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Do you want, do you want to start a two-hour show now? <laughs> uh, I, I just, I think, I think, there's, I think there's, there are some who find it very, very easy to, to lift, a, lift a big stick and, and batter Rangers over the head with it. Just the same as like seven years ago when Rangers were in the teetering on the brink of, you know, evaporating, that there were some people who said, well, this will be a change for Scottish society and all the rest of it. Knowing the fact that Rangers were actually one of the biggest employers in that area, and if it was any other industry, there'd have been people out with placards and lending their support to keeping people in a job. That didn't that didn't happen when it was Rangers, you know, you could you could not say that any other in any other industry or form of business that if one of Scotland's biggest clubs or one of um, Scottish society's biggest uh, institutions. In, institutions, so to speak, if it had disappeared. So if you were one of the top, say, top 10 or 12 pharmaceutical companies or manufacturing companies or whatever it was, and you were just about to disappear, 
would, would as a as a parliamentarian, would you celebrate that? I don't think you would. So what makes football different? That that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that that, that angers me, is that people there are some people who are are are, are so you know insular and, and suffer from so much tunnel vision that they don't actually see that football is an industry. It's not just it's just there's no guy you know, twenty-two guys kicking a ball up against a wall every every Saturday or every every midweek as well. It's a it's a it's a an actual industry and, and sometimes people should treat it like that and be actually quite fortunate that it employs so many people rather than trying to do it down all the time. There's also, you know, in terms of the club moving forward and still sort of struggling to shake off this image, do you think the supporters also, you know, a minority of them anyway, seem to still harbour onto the same old hymns that, you know, bring so much negative towards the club yeah yeah I do I mean and you're, you're, you're talking to somebody here who actually 20 years ago found himself quite literally going toe to toe and nose to nose with some of these supporters um, and, and actually ended up doing a, a newspaper article that, that gets some of them banned I'm doing a job of work I don't need somebody shouting at me or swearing at me or calling me this that the next thing or uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing my job and I think sometimes you know I think sometimes it's too easy. The, the, the whole thing, um, you know, and maybe one or two will pick me up on this, but the whole thing about we are Rangers, no one likes us, we don't care. That That is, for me, is that is something that until Rangers get rid of that, or certain elements of the Rangers support get rid of that, then they will not travel forward. You cannot believe that the whole world is against you. And there's also a time, actually, where you can actually take the moral high ground in certain things, but you will never be able to take the moral high ground in certain things if you are, are showing the same tendencies as those that you're complaining about. And that's what happens too often with Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing that gets me about the whole thing, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and all the rest of it. You know, in my younger days, I've, you know, sang some of these songs and all the rest of it. So I get that, but kind of the older I've got and, and I've said this a couple of times in the pod plus the fact that you know I'm a Rangers supporter I, I, I care about the image of the club and I, I care about the club itself if, if I'm engaging in behaviour that I think well actually this is bringing this is damaging the reputation of something I claim to love then that's what I don't get if you know that this is going to damage the image of your club why would you engage in it? That's always been the thing that I've struggled with. So, How many yeah, times I, can you get fined? And this, this applies right across Scottish football. How many times can you get fined by UEFA? Or how, how many times can UEFA take sanctions against you and tell you something is wrong before you actually get a message, before you actually play a European tie when there is nobody watching it because the entire support has been banned for a couple of mindless idiots? You know, we we, are, we we live in a country where, sadly, too many people busy themselves in terms of how they see it as being democracy. But there are people who would would you know would happily prosecute people when actually they they may actually do better to to educate them. Except they don't prosecute with an even hand. I don't think. You know, I think I think it's still it's still quite easy to pick on to pick on on football in general and to pick on certain supporters 
in general than it is to actually spot the fact that these are more this is more down to society and and, and social reasons than it has anything to do with football. And, and I, I know, and I think it's it's almost going back to the days of the Rangers board being brave enough to bite on the bullet and say, you know, yes, this is what we're going to do. I, I sometimes think that Scotland are actually lacking somebody who who would actually stand up and say this is right, this is wrong, and if you are wrong, we will punish you, regardless of whether it's at a football match, on the street, or in the pub. But you need to be even-handed if you're going to meet out these punishments. And again, if anything, UEFA seem to be quite even-handed at these things, but ultimately, they can do more damage to you in terms of football terms than uh, the, the, the Scottish government might do, because they could actually stop your support turning up to see you play football and and how anybody puts their club in that kind of position or themselves in that kind of position is absolutely beyond me. Some interesting stuff there, Stuart. Uh, I'm becoming conscious of time. Uh, we've, we've, we've kind of just hit the hour mark there. So probably best to, to, to sort of sum things up here. The 10th of July, 1989, do you think in your career you'll ever see another day like it? Oh, um, good question. I would I'd have to say no, simply because it was it was so it was so seismic. You know, so many things changed that day. Um, I, I don't think there will ever be another day quite like it. There'll be big players will sign and be brought into Scottish football in the future, and there'll be undoubtedly be talented players who will pass through Scottish football and become star turns elsewhere. However, I don't think there'll be another day where there'll be so many things will have changed in the, in the, in the one day. And, and not, only, not only on what happened in that day, but the whole, the whole backstory to it. The whole backstory to it makes it one of the most in, intriguing stories ever in the history of Scottish football, let alone, you know, in the, uh, the last 30 years. You know, nothing, nothing has quite come up to that one in terms of either uniting fans or 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 driving a wedge know. between, yeah, <laughs> driving a wedge between fans. It, it's still, it's still a, a, it's the very name of Morris Johnson. If you drop it into a conversation at the wrong time, you can end up having a very good night spoiled. You know what I mean? And it's and, and, and the fact that that can still happen thirty years on. Only goes to prove what a what a seismic event it was, and and again, go back to your, your question. No, I don't think I'll ever see another day quite like that one. I would agree with that. It was it was a good day, and uh, I, I agree. I don't think we'll see anything like it again. Uh, so that's all from this special edition of the Jersnet Weekly Podcast. Uh, a big thanks to Stuart for his views there on a, a monumental day in Rangers history, tenth uh, of July, nineteen eighty nine. Morris Johnson became a Rangers player. Uh, if anyone's out there old enough to remember it, then they'll totally agree. If you've not, if you're not old enough to remember it, then I hope listening to the pod is sort of giving you an idea of what that that particular period in the club's history was like. It was certainly memorable, that's for sure. Uh, so that's that episode done. Next week uh, there'll be a, sh- a show out next Sunday night. I think we're going back to the live show next Sunday. Uh, to deal with the, the European games that are coming up. I think Ross is down for that. I'll have to have a wee look at the uh, the schedule, but I think Ross is down to host that. In the meantime, get yourself on to Jersnet and the forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. Loads of articles, uh, 
the forums are there as well, and I'm sure they'll be talking about this uh, this evening's pod as well. So thanks for listening in, folks, and until the next time, bye for now.